0: Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 Podcast, your weekly show that explores the DC Comics multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and the Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson.
2: I'm David Steele, welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's our final regular episode of 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and To round the year out, we are having one of our occasional flashback episodes. We are flashing back to a comic that was published on the 22nd of June, 1961. That's a mere four days after Paul McCartney's 19th birthday. I feel I talk about Paul McCartney quite a lot you in this do, podcast. yes. We're doing a story from issue 37 of The Brave and the Bold, which features Task Force X, a.k.a. The Suicide Squad. The Suicide Squad! The Suicide Squad! The suicide squad. Listeners, you're probably already wondering, why are we doing a Suicide Squad story? But I'm sure that'll come clear to you very, very quickly, Peter. When did you first encounter the Suicide Squad?
1: I first encountered them in Legends Issue Three, the DC Comics mini series when it first came out, because that's literally when I was starting to seriously get into DC Comics and collect. And actually, I found my first comic shop around about that point, aka Books and Comics in Glasgow, and I was hooked. And literally. That was coming out, you had Justice League spinning out of that, you had the Suicide Squad title itself Mm, spinning mm, out of that, Yeah, and of course, that version of the team first appeared in Legends Issue 3. What about yourself, David?
2: Exactly the same. Oh, gosh. Tail end of 86, start of 87, Mm -hmm. I was a confirmed Marvel zombie at this point, but the shop in Paisley, the kind of used book shop that also sold new comics that I frequented to get the majority of my stuff at that time, because you know I wasn't in Glasgow very often, didn't know anything about any other actual comic shops, had closed, you see, and there wasn't anywhere else really to buy, especially older Marvel comics. So I found myself mm-hmm. picking up the occasional DC comic. The reason I picked up issue one of Legends when I saw that in another agents was because obviously Captain Marvel was in the cover. Mm. Didn't get every issue of it at the time. Missed, I think, at least issue two, but I remember also getting issue three and Blockbuster and everyone making their way to Mount Rushmore to fight Brimstone and all that happening. Yes. I remember buying issue one of the John Ostander series when it mm-hmm. emerged a few months later, as you say, around right about the time of the Maguire, Demetrius, Justice League beginning. We should also get to this point if we mentioning that series, give a quick shout out to the Wahaha podcast, which I'm a, a keen listener to. Shazam, the new beginning was at the same time. Wally West's ongoing as the Flash. Yep. All of that obviously is way, way, way in the future. The Suicide Squad that we're talking about this week is not the Suicide Squad that most modern audiences are familiar with, i.e. that of a team of supervillains doing jobs for the government. No, nope. The original Suicide Squad was very different. Peter's going to give you a little bit of history on that now.
1: Certainly I am now. This version of Task Force X, also known as the Suicide Squad, first appeared in the Brave and Bold issue 25. That was published on the 25th of June 1959. Wow. Now, the good news, folks, is all of their stories have been collected in a lovely omnibus, the Suicide Squad, the Silver Age omnibus, so that is available, and they're also all available on the DC Comics Infinite app, which I can highly recommend. So yes, you can read these stories, and they are fantastic. You will hugely enjoy them. Now, in that first story, a team is formed to basically deal with a giant creature who is freed from ice. Was basically a big menace let's be honest
2: i like a big menace yes i've heard that rumor i started it
1: uh, yeah the team was formed of rick flag now rick Flagg is credited as both captain and colonel so make up your own mind it doesn't matter what, what he's called <laughs> also there is karen grace who was a nurse and an artist there was jess bright who was a physicist and dr hugh evans who was an astronomer Doctor Hugh, Doctor Hugh, indeed. <laughs> so
2: was Sydney Newman a fan of the Suicide Squad? Did that give them all the idea?
1: May have been, may have been. Now it's very much in the vein of the challenges the unknown. Basically, four experts banding together to tackle. And to be honest, giant monsters is pretty much what they came across every issue. Because as I said, their first appearance in Brave and Bold twenty-five, they fought this giant creature from the ice. And in issue 26 of Brave and Bold, they come back. That actually follows straight on from the events of issue 25. And in that issue, they are shrunk down. So basically, they're fighting giant things that are just normal things to you and I. And then in the second story in that issue... They fight and defeat a giant serpent that's attacking the Eiffel Tower of all places. Yes,
2: yeah. I and mean, I've got a copy of the, the omnibus mm-hmm. that reprints these I bought it like, as soon as it came out because, you know, it was an essential, but you have some nice Parisian tourist moments uh-huh. in that story. Always very, funny. very nice, yes.
1: In Brave and Bold issue twenty seven, the team come back and they're fighting giant monsters from a lake. There is a pattern, definitely a pattern. In Bimbo 37, they return. Uh, the first story in that issue is the one we're covering. In the second one, they're fighting a giant cyclops. In issue 38, they fight a giant alien. This is quite an interesting one. It's a giant alien who uses pterodactyl-like creatures to attack
2: Earth. Yeah, that's a great story. Mm. That's the one with the statue of Liberty on the cover, isn't it? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah, superb.
1: And in the second story, the team fights extra-dimensional aliens who use mirages of the Suicide Squad against them. It's very tempting for us to cover that story. Yes, yes. It's almost within a remit, but we thought, no, this is a. The one we're doing today is much better. So mm-hmm, there we are. Mm-hmm. Issue 39 is the last appearance of that particular version of the team. And in it, the Suicide Squad find an island populated by dinosaurs and ancient alien robots. They end up getting swallowed by a spaceship, which is disguised as a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. Really? It's happened to us all, quite yeah. frankly.
2: That's a bright cover, Issue 39. Yeah, uh huh. Mm-hmm. It's
1: phenomenal. Fortunately, they managed to escape. And in the second story, it's it's a bit kind of low rent, really, for them. They confront a mobster and an artist who turns people into living statues. Mm -hmm. No giant monsters Mm -hmm. to be seen. And that's the end of that version of the Suicide Squad. However, in that issue, there is a call out to the reader saying, do you like the Suicide Squad? Write in and let us know. And I think some people did, but most people didn't because the name the suicide squad or suicide squadron is then reused in star spangled war stories yes and they bring a world war Two version of the suicide squadron and they're mostly war that time forgot stories mm-hmm. which basically take place on
2: a place called dinosaur island yeah i'm a huge fan of that series i've got a near complete run of the star spangled war stories awesome. dinosaur awesome. stories Listeners, you'll be delighted to know that I've prepared 10 covers to post on the socials during the week that this episode is out. Quite a few of them use the Suicide Squad term on the cover, mm-hmm. which is a nice sort of little bit of linkage. And of course, the old Dinosaur Island was used very effectively. In Darwin Cooke's New Frontier. Of course, yes. Listeners, if you've never read Darwin Cooke's New Frontier, you really Do should. Do it now.
1: Stop listening to us. Yes. Do it
2: now. It's an absolute love letter to the, the period that this issue of Brave and the Bold that we're talking about today was published. It's it's glorious. It's a nice sort of blend of the contemporary superheroes and then the war characters that were introduced afterwards. And just, it's mm. it's amazing. It's generally one of the best things you'll ever read. And if you're listening to this podcast, there's a fair chance you'll, you will have read it already, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. As I said, in these Star-Spangled War Stories issues, it's not the Suicide Squad that we've read about before. All these stories are also in the Silver Age Omnibus and are available read. so as I said, check it out. Star-Spangled War Stories 110 introduces the World War II version, and it's a duo called Skipper, who's also known as Alan, and the Professor, and they investigate Dinosaur Island and they fight a giant white ape. Yeah. Gosh.
2: Yeah, the giant white apes in a couple of stories. Mm-hmm. He's almost recurring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the use of the Suicide Squad term in the the Star Spangled stories—it's very much in the same way that do you remember that Doom Patrol story that we did? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, from the issue of GI Combat. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they're called Suicide Squad because you know the missions that they're sent on are incredibly, incredibly dangerous. Yeah. It's interesting. There was another Suicide Squad. Meant to be an ongoing in the 2000s, which only I think ran to 12, which mm-hmm. folded Sergeant Rock into it and really tied together Sergeant Rock and The World at Time Forgot Stories and the contemporary idea yeah. of villains working as a team, a team for the government. I think mm-hmm. Keith Giffen was involved with that as well, I seem to me. Yeah. That's a good read, uh, listeners, if you can track it down. It's also very mm-hmm. enjoyable.
1: Yeah, but that was Skipper and Professor in 110 and 111. Now, in issues 116, 17 and 18, a new duo come in called Morgan and Mace. They're a bit more antagonistic towards each other. Because Morgan blames Mace for the death of his brother. So they have to basically work together, even with their own prejudices, to try and survive, which is quite exciting. In issue 119, we get a different pairing called Sheriff and Wild One. Morgan and Mace return again in 120. In issue 121, Stoner and Manny are a new duo that they throw Mm. into the mix. In issue 125, this is a belter. There's a character called Sergeant Trask, and he's got a crew. They've appeared for the first time, and also appearing is G.I. Robot number two. The most well-known version of G.I. Robot is Jake, who appeared, I believe, in some weird war tales towards the end of its run. But this was the second version of G.I. Robot, and he was known as Mac. The first version of G.I. Robot was known as Joe, and he was also involved in the war that time forgot. He appeared in Star Spangled War Stories numbers 101, 102, and 103. And it's interesting that it's called Joe because currently Image Comics are publishing a series called Junkyard Joe about a GI robot, <laughs> written by <laughs> written by Jeff Jones and drawn beautifully by Gary Frank. Anyone get the feeling that Jeff uh, Jones might have pitched this to DC and DC said GI robot, no, no thanks, and he just went, oh, right. okay, no bother, hung up the phone and picked up the phone to Image Comics straight away.
2: <laughs> yeah pete's been enthusing about that to me in real life listeners so i'm probably going to check it out if i remember but yeah. maybe i'll just borrow peter's and read them
1: <laughs> so there we go
2: but yes only two more issues
1: left folks issue 127 another team another duo peterson talbot are the suicide squad and in 128 yet another new duo tim granger and arnie brock
2: formed the suicide squad in that story
1: and then that's about it.
2: Those Suicide Squad stories, they're scattered through the mix quite evenly of the, the regular World at Time Forgot stories that are in Star Spangled. Some, as Peter said, some of them are reprinted. The Suicide Squad ones are reprinted in the, the Silver Age Suicide Squad Omnibus. But I would encourage anyone that enjoys stories of dinosaurs being shot at by soldiers to really to track these down because they're great fun. They're some of the most enjoyable comics ever. I believe there's a Showcase Presents. Yes, yes there is. Cause I can see it behind me. That's quite a good one. That, so that, that's worth tracking down. They're really, really good, mm. honestly. And I'm pretty sure the Showcase Presents has all the Suicide Squad stories and will have the, the GR Robot ones that Peter mentioned there as well. So yeah, a one-stop shop, really. They're really, really good. Very
1: goods. Now, there was also a Golden Age version of Task Force X and the Suicide Squad as a retcon post-crisis mm. in Secret Origins issue 14, which also tied into the Legends miniseries in 1987. And that included Rick Flagg Sr., And I've seen her listed as Karen Jace, which uh, sounds very much like Karen Grace, but also as Sharon Pace. Interesting. So I'm not entirely sure what the name of that character is in that version of the Suicide Squad, but it would make more sense to be Sharon Pace. I've I've known as Karen Jace is a bit kind of on the nose. But yes, I wish there had been a scene actually in that Secret Origins issue where young Amanda Waller was leaving a cinema with her parents after seeing The Dirty Dozen and her parents were maybe shot down and she vows <laughs> to avenge them by forming a team of bad guys. <laughs> I wish that had happened. Sadly, that's that didn't happen. But when we write our DC comic...
2: Well, you, when you write your DC comic, mate, I think that's, that's rotten. <laughs> Good luck. The Suicide Squad has become quite a well-known concept. Mm-hmm. You know, this this idea of villains forming a team... You know obviously there's been the two movies I enjoyed the second one a lot more than the first one mm-hmm. but I did like the first one I must say it's become a much more prominent part I think of the regular sort of DC Universe nowadays than yeah. it, than it yeah. was for a long long time because the the Ostrander series ran to what ran for about five years or so didn't it and it was quite a long time Six, before, yeah. yeah it was quite a long time before they brought it back but I believe was it during the new 52. That was when they folded Harley Quinn. Yeah. And uh-huh. and it's become basically a sort of Harley Quinn vehicle Pretty much, sense, yeah, since that. which is quite interesting. But it's you know, to drag us screaming back to the point, the story we're doing this week, and a little flashback to round out the year, is a story of the original first published Suicide Squad, which as we say, Brave and Bold thirty seven. Now, Peter's gonna tell you about the cover, which in time on tradition isn't the story that we're doing. Of course. We have, at the top, the banner, the flag-like
1: banner that says The Brave and Bold Presents Task Force X Suicide Squad We are inside a cave. There is a giant cyclops outside the cave reaching in to grab our heroes. And he has a strange green beam emanating from his giant eye. Ooh.
2: Yet the shades of the Emerald Eye from the Legion... Mythos yes, to this, actually, in a way, uh-huh. which is interesting. Maybe that's what happened this other day. When we write our DC comic, we'll tie it all together. <laughs> We're writing a lot of DC comics this week. Apparently.
0: And there's a big banner that says, Back by popular
2: request in a new top-secret mission, Threat of the Giant Eye. I like this cover. It's very attention-grabbing, the way that the beam sort of casts over everyone. Mm-hmm. And... Karen is caught in the beast's hands and the others are trying to free her. It's very exciting. It's almost Land of the Giants before it's tied yeah. in a way.
1: Most of these were pretty much Land of the Giants.
2: Yeah. I mean, there's a, I, liked, I liked your earlier comparison to the Challengers. Yeah. Maybe when we write our DC comic, we'll do a Suicide Squad and Challengers of the Unknown crossover. We should do, yes. And June and Karen can talk about something interesting so that pack the comic <laughs> passes the deal test. They can save or the day. Something. Yeah, they're yeah. rushing at the end while the men are all tied up and useless, smash the patriarchy. That'll be a lot of fun. But as, as we say, this is not the story we're doing. We're doing the first story from the title, which is called... Well, we'll tell you what it's called in a second. Our opening splash panel. We're down by the docks. It looks like carnage has been levelled across the city. We can see ruined buildings in the background. And our Suicide Squad heroes are sliding down a piece of dock that's been attacked and held in the mouth by a giant fin-headed dinosaur. There is some text at the top. What really happened to the terrifying dinosaurs who ruled the
0: Earth millions of years ago? The Suicide Squad finds out the astonishing answer when it is summoned back to battle a threat which only its unique abilities can cope with in... Raid Raid of of the Dinosaurs!
2: Yes dinosaurs see once we've finished doing the dc multi- the pre-crisis dc multiverse and we've done dial h for hero and we've done the Challenge of the unknown mm. maybe we'll do star spangled war stories and suicide squad <laughs> as well just so we can do some dinosaur stories i love dinosaurs don't you mate <laughs> anyway into the story proper the first panel of page two has a caption
0: high over desert testing grounds rocket play next tears itself to pieces in a slashing dive and as Captain Rick Flagg, the daring test
2: pilot, is catapulted out. There's a massive whoosh sound effect, and panel two follows on from panel one, showing the plane ripping itself to pieces. We got a nice close up shot of Rick, tilted um, to 90 degrees, but thankfully his speech bubble is the right way up. And Rick is thinking Testing escape gear is a picnic compared to the missions I used to lead the Suicide Squad on. That's fantastic. That's a great little recap. Here you go. You know, mm-hmm. it's great. That's like me humping a flight case up a set of stairs and thinking. <laughs> Taking flight cases upstairs is a picnic compared to having to do Christmas Eve in a popular (laughs) um, entertainment retailer. Yes. We shift to panel three, which is captioned.
0: In a laboratory nearby, Dr. Evans and his assistant,
2: Jess Bright, are experimenting with newly discovered elements when... Straight away, there's a massive wham! Sound effect basically looks like some equipment in front of the the two has (laughs) exploded violently. And Jess says... After the missions we went on in the Suicide Squad, this stuff is a breeze. Eh, Doc? There's no chance of us being sent on top-secret missions again. Well, probably not if they keep blowing stuff up. I can see where this is going, this story, because Mm. there's a little arrow takes us to the next panel, which is captioned thus.
0: But at this very moment, Fate is visiting Karen Grace,
2: the last member of the Suicide Squad, in her studio. Karen is obviously a bit of an abstract painter on the quiet. See something against the far wall, which is a nice blend of red and green sort of squarish shapes. She's wearing a painter's smock. She has a brush in hand, hair tied blonde she's blonde hair, she's tied back, brush in hand, canvas in front of her. And she looks a little bit surprised and uncomfortable. She says My hands! What what's moving them? In a caption for the final panel of page two Swiftly, incredibly, brushstroke after brushstroke flies across the canvas until... Karen stands back, recoiling from the massive painting she has created, which she very helpfully describes. The Capitol being snatched up into the air by a huge flying dinosaur. What made me paint this nightmare? Yes, the painting shows a giant purple pterodactyl grasping the Washington Capitol building in claws and lifting it up into the air and she's also painted lots of figures who we can see are running away and looking very very scared Gosh, what has made her paint this nightmare? We turn the page, the caption for the first panel on page 3 A few hours later, the other members of the Suicide Squad are summoned to Karen's studio by top secret orders where... This is a great panel we can see some more canvases scattered around Karen's obviously very large studio. There's one which looks like a scene from Gorgo, quite frankly We see a large Tyrannosaurus style dinosaur standing amongst the ruins of a city with the river in front of it and fire. Pterodactyls flying above. We can see another one which shows what looks as so though it could be the, the Golden Gate Bridge in ruins, or at least a large suspension bridge with a ruined city behind it. We can also see the pterodactyl painting. But the other Suicide Squad members have arrived. We can see them all Rick standing very lean and tall and fit in his uniform. We can see Jess in his checked jacket looking almost like Barry Allen, except with brown hair, and Dr. Hugh Evans looking very smart in a neat blue suit and a bow tie. They're also joined by General Brent, who Karen is talking to as they look up at this landscape painting with a bridge. Karen is saying, What do you think of all these pictures I was practically forced to paint, General Brent? And at an inset panel, General is a very neat looking man, very neat moustache, replies, The New York skyline overgrown, crawling with monsters. The sea turned into steam. Any force powerful enough to cause these disasters to us is a threat to the whole country just paintings general general continues in the next panel addressing the, the group that's why i called all of you together the moment karen showed me these paintings over which she had no control find out who created them and why rick it's a top secret mission for the suicide squad and i have to say i'm incredibly skeptical of it <laughs> seem you're so used to to brigadier Lesbridge Stewart being skeptical about everything <laughs> yes i'm astonished at how Quickly the general is (laughs) buying into this, quite Uh frankly. Did you not have some bad dreams, Karen? Did you watch Uh were you reading some cheese? Yeah. Did you eat some cheese after reading the people at Time Forgot or something? (laughs) Anyway, Rick, who doesn't look anywhere as handsome as heroic as he does in the films, replies Yes, General Brent. And the caption for the final panel of page three says, As the suicide squad is left with its incredible assignment. Rick has put his hands on Karen's shoulders, hopefully to reassure her or or something, but he's saying, Karen, can you think of something, anything that would give us a clue as to what made you paint these scenes? No, but then she thinks, the only thing I can think of is how long we haven't seen each other, Rick, darling. But you ordered me never to reveal my feelings, lest it interfere with our efficiency as a group. Gosh, Marvel angst. Marvel likes before the publication of Fantastic Four number 1. Let's uh-huh. point that yes, out. Uh-huh. Right, top
0: of page four. Suddenly, Dr. Evans holds up a bill.
2: Is it Bill Nye? Is it Bill Hartnell? Is it Billy Eilish? No, it's holding up a single dollar bill. And the Doctor says... Can any of you read the serial number on this dollar bill? Yes, nice close-up of the, the one dollar. But Have you ever held a one dollar bill? Oh, yes. Have you? I don't think I have. Yeah. Listeners, have you? I know you have. Anyway, Jess, Karen and Rick, far away from the dock, another side of the room... Jess, with his pipe in his mouth, replies, Impassable. It's too far away. What's your scientific experiment trying to prove, Doc? Says Rick. Caption for panel two. Surprising even herself without looking toward the bill, Karen blurts. Yes, Karen comes out with B127094558A. There's a nice sort of shock look to her face, a nice sort of jaggedy accompaniment to the way she's been drawn to Mm. emphasise her shock. And the other side of the room, Dr. Hugh Evans says... Correct. Absolutely, impossibly, fantastically correct. The team is all moving a little closer together on the next panel as Rick says... I've got it! Extrasensory perception! You mean, I am a human radio antenna, Rick? Dr. Hugh says... Roughly, yes. Karen is an ESPA, picking up
0: super-powerful thought impulses from something, somewhere, who is planning to destroy us.
2: In the caption for panel four.
0: And then an eerie hush falls upon the
2: suicide squad as... Yes, Karen has stiffened. She suddenly has a paintbrush back in her hand and she's crossed to another canvas and it looks genuinely... This is fantastically well-drawn. As if she has no control over what she's doing. The brush is feverishly moving across the canvas as she says, I... I... I'm tuned in again! The others can only watch the caption for the final panel of page four. Again, strokes swift as thought, fly over the canvas until... Yes, we see the final image. Now, it's a cityscape in the background with another big large suspension bridge. There's a large green tyrannosaur-style dinosaur at the front. Almost looks as if he's photobombing the image. Yes. He's pointing to the background, though, which shows a, a range of other dinosaurs all claiming up a hill towards a red flying saucer. Good grief! As the Suicide Squad looks at this startling image, which is going to haunt my dreams quite frankly... Colonel Rick Flag says, "Dinosaurs of an identical Earth, with a superintelligence great enough to
1: build spaceships, their object is obvious: to invade us and make us their
2: hunting grounds." That's an amazing little bit of extrapolation, there, isn't it? Just from that. Simply is. Well certainly done, is. Rick. Gosh, I feel that like we haven't had that level of extrapolation in quite a long time. <laughs> I remember us obviously falling about once at some great extrapolation. Was it one of the, It was one of the Supergirl parallel earth stories wasn't it yeah Yeah, that's astonishing Mm -hmm. i almost want peter to read that line again listeners it was (laughs) so peter would you mind reading that line again for us
1: dinosaurs of an identical earth with a super intelligence great enough to build spaceships
2: their object is obvious to invade us and make us their hunting grounds astonishing i mean think about it did these dinosaurs also build the suspension bridge did they build the city and the buildings in the background how did they get the little fiddly bits anyway I'm almost speechless at this point in the proceedings, listeners. The caption for the first panel of page five.
0: Never before had the Suicide Squad been faced with such a staggering mission. Yes, they all
2: look really down in the dumps. They're all sat down, apart from Rick, who's standing with his foot up on a bench. There's a bench in front of this latest painting. Jess is sat there, Karen has her head in her hands. Hugh looks utterly dejected. Jess says, how can we fight these high IQ dinosaurs if we haven't the foggiest idea where they are? And then Rick says, what planets? What galaxy? What time period? What dimension? And then Dr. Hugh says, Our only connection with them is through Karen's thoughts. Karen gets a thoughtful close up in panel two as she says, If they can reach me through my thoughts, is the reverse possible? Can we reach them through my thoughts? They take this very seriously. In panel three, Rick is addressing the group saying, Anybody have a better idea? No?
0: Then we have no choice. We'll load up with all the special effects weapons we have and... A slow
2: dissolve the caption for panel four.
0: An hour later, armed with powerful miniature devices from former Suicide Squad missions.
2: Yes, good shot of the team. They've all got changed into more practical clothes. Jess and you are wearing orange boiler suits and Karen has changed into an attractive, tight-fitting green jumper an attractive, tight-fitting red skirt and a pair of attractive heels. But she's also accessorising with a belt that looks very much like Batman's utility belt. Lots of little pouches and stuff. She also looks as though she's tidied her hair up slightly as well. They stand amongst the painted dinosaur canvases, as Rick says. All right, Karen, it's up to you. And then a large caption covers the final three panels of page five.
0: Desperately, Karen tries to transport the Suicide Squad to the parallel world of Earth through Kinesis. The power to move
2: objects by the energy of thought. The first panel, they're all standing holding hands. Jess looks thrilled, quite frankly. Rick, I have to be honest, I'm not convinced by the jaunty angle he has his cap at the no. moment. It doesn't look as so if he's taking not things stay seriously. On. No. Karen has her hand to her head as she says, Rick, nothing's happening. Try harder. Nothing's happening. It's got to happen. And close in closer for the final panel. On page five, as Rick has turned to look at the painting behind him, Karen says, Rick, what's wrong? The picture, it's the station to that other world. Tune in on it, Karen. And then the first three panels of page 89 almost reverse the zooming in aspect. We start with a close shot of Karen and concentric red and orange and yellow circles playing over her and then subsequently over everyone else as the caption for the first panel says, This time, like a human antenna. And then continues for the next couple of panels. Karen tunes in on the
0: scene in front of her, bringing it nearer, nearer, nearer.
2: Yes, the concentric circles expand, so they're including the whole team, and then... The caption for the final panel of page 6 says Until, with the noiseless speed of thought, the
0: Suicide Squad is tuned into The Parallel World of Super Monsters Yes,
2: and it almost seems as if they've walked into the painting The green tyrannosaur, who was waving at us earlier, is standing over them We can see the other dinosaurs, all variety, still making their way up the hill towards the flying saucer And the large green tyrannosaur dinosaur yells at them (coughs) things have bridged
0: the gap. Destroy them before they alert their world to our impending attack.
2: Good grief. We arrive at the top of page 7 and a caption says, Part 2, Raid, Raid of, of the, the dinosaurs. dinosaurs. The caption
0: for the first panel. In Earth's parallel world, the Suicide Squad faces super dinosaurs.
2: Now the Tyrannosaur-style guy, who's very tall and lean and green, he's looming over... The Suicide Squad, we can still see everyone else moseying up the hill towards the spaceship. There's one guy with a sort of green tint and a horn on his head who seems to be looking back to watch what's going on. But the green tyrannosaur guy is saying, Our world parallels yours in every respect but one. On yours, dinosaurs died out,
0: and you puny creatures took their place. On ours... Dinosaurs developed great brains to match their great
2: size. Karen looks aghast. Jess looks kind of chill and Dr. Hugh's taken it all in. Rick, with his hands on his hips and his cap on the back of his head, looks up and says, Why not leave our world in peace? The dinosaur replies, You are weaker and in
0: the jungle the weak perish before the claws and fangs of the
2: strong. Dr. Hugh, looking very much like pundit Matthew Sweet in this panel, looks astonished and says, Our world
0: has claws and fangs too to fight back. Nuclear weapons.
2: Peter's voice is going to be wrecked by the end of this episode, Mm. listeners. (laughs) Mm.
0: The caption for panel three of page seven. In chilling answer, the great creature turns its breath
2: on the suicide squad and... (laughs) Wow. Yes, it basically just exhales over them. We can see like it's breathing some kind of thick fog over them, almost. Karen cries, Good heavens! It's turning my green sweater to black! Good grief, what powers these dinosaurs have! In the next panel, the dinosaur's halitosis (laughs) clears as Rick moves forward to Karen saying, Some chemical
1: element exhaled by these creatures is capable of destroying chlorophyll, which is an all-living matter
2: in our world. Yes, Karen's jumper was made out of plants. Dr Hugh says, No chlorophyll, no life. There's there and such nuclear weapons. Interesting. So dinosaurs on this planet have a breath which kills plants. Interesting. Okay, caption for the final panel of page seven. Suddenly, a giant claw lunges at the Suicide Squad. Sure enough, that's what happens. The green tyrannosaur guy steps towards them, saying, It would be amusing to spare your lives and start a human zoo with you. Rick cries, Take off, everyone! And they all leg it. I want to know why Karen's jumper changed colour, but no one else's did. Anyway, the first panel of page eight as the Suicide Squad grimly flees from its fearsome pursuer. Yes, an interesting shot of them all running away in the distance with all these ruined buildings. Now, Peter gets annoyed at me when I ask questions as we're reading the story, so I should (laughs) probably save what I'm thinking right now until we get to the end. But anyway, they're all heading away, and Rick says, We need some booby traps to stop that heavyweight. Get out your percussion cartridges. In panel two, they all throw these grenades backwards over their shoulder. Casually, it must be said. It doesn't look as if they've taken the pins out of all of them, (laughs) although you can see in a couple of them, the pins do seem to be popping out of their own accord. The caption then for panel three, Like a field of anti-tank mines erupting, the special cartridges
0: explode
2: and... Yes, a couple of wham-blam sound effects, low-key on the ground, and there's massive explosions going off and the giant green Tyrannosaur rears backwards in obvious pain as it's caught up in the explosions. In the foreground of the panel, we see the Suicide Squad still running away as Rick says, Battling these giant creatures might not be as hopeless as it appears. They seem to have reached the, the river or the sea in the next panel. Karen's taking the lead. we get a good shot of Jess, actually. He looks a lot younger in this panel than he's done in the previous times we've seen him. Rick is saying, We'll put some distance in between us and the spaceship so we can figure out how to tackle it. Jess replies, We're in luck. No one's after us. Caption for the final panel of page 8.
0: But, to the Suicide Squad's amazement, an awesome shape rears out of the depths,
2: and... Yes, we're basically at the splash panel. They're on a level of the docks, and a large, purpley-red, fin-headed plesiosaur-type dinosaur has emerged from the water, and it says, Hi, Earthlings! Did you think to stop me because of your thunderstones? Rick replies... How
1: could that thing have possibly known what happened? It was underwater, and why did it say me when it was the
2: other creature we stopped? As we arrive at page 9, the caption for the first panel says... As the underwater creature seizes the dock the Suicide Squad is on... Yes, just like in the splash panel, it has gripped the dock in its teeth and started to rip it apart so the Suicide Squad start to slip down towards... Dr Hugh cries... That thing's ripping the dock out from under us to get us into the water. Rick cries, hang on. And Karen says, I can't. I've lost my grip. With a desperate lunge. Rick leaps forward, grabs Karen by the wrist as Karen says, let go of me, Rick, before you tumble in yourself. You women are all alike. You always have time to chatter no matter what's happening. <sighs> We're
0: going to have a lot to say at the end of the story. <laughs> Capture for panel three. As the Suicide Squad leaders, numbed fingers, lose their precarious grip, Dr. Evans desperately clutches
2: him. Yes, this actually looks like it's actually Jess, though, that's yeah. grabbed hold of Rick, not Dr. Hugh Evans. Anyway, Jess has reached down. He's grabbed hold of Rick's other hand as Rick is caught in the middle. He's trying to keep hold of Karen. Rick says, Don't be a fool, Evans. You haven't the muscle to hold us all. You're not Jess. Well, it clearly is Jess. That's hilarious. <laughs> the caption for the final
0: panel, page nine now it is the brawny jess who comes the last link in the human chain
2: as dr evan starts slipping right from what we can see here the fin-headed police is really pulling the dock back there's a massive crack sound effect as all the wooden supports start to break and we can see karen closest to the dinosaur holding on to rick and then jess and hugh at the top this is very badly rendered because rick says (laughs) jess is getting purple already holding us from falling you're the only one who's got a free hand, Karen. Concussion cartridges won't work in water. Try depth-charging that thing. Depth-charges. And then we arrive at the top of page 10. The captions for the first couple of panels say... Desperately, the dangling Karen
0: tosses belt-sized cartridges into the water under her, which expand under the action
2: of the water, and detonate like a field of floating mines. So those three panels, what we see in the first one is a close-up of Karen that she drops the metal cartridges towards the water. It's a nice shot of the dinosaur with its evil eye on her. In the top left-hand corner, there's a sound effect as the cartridges reach the water in panel two, and then a couple of WHAM sound effects as the cartridges explode around the dinosaur in the water. The dinosaur actually looks very, very pained and very uncomfortable. The rendering of the dinosaurs is tremendous. This panel's going in the socials, quite frankly. However, although they've succeeded in blowing up the dinosaur, the dock is still in a bit of a state because the, the Suicide Squad are all falling into the water. Karen cries, we're going over! And what looks like Jess says, Out of the frying pan, into hot water. And it's interesting because Jess is adopting a proper diving yes. pose here, whereas the others are just going, What? Yeah. Jinx, you me a Fanta. The caption for panel four. As the Suicide Squad tumbles into the water. Yes. They've all broken the surface of the water and they're underneath. Rex at the foreground of the panel and he's thinking, No green in the water either.
1: Chlorophyll's been drained out of it too. The mere presence of these creatures will make Earth unbearable.
2: We've got to stop them. But how? I have a lot of questions at this point, but I'm going to save them till the end. We can see everyone struggling underwater. Doctor Hughes managed to keep his glasses on, which impresses me. We can see the Mm. flapping tail of the deceased dinosaur as well. It's great. The caption for the final panel, of page 10. And then, as the swimmers break through the surface, a gigantic claw reaches down and... Yes. We're not sure who thinks it. It looks like Jess, because he's the closest. We're caught! Yes, the giant green... Claw has grabbed all four members and lifted them out of the water. We arrive at the top of page eleven and the caption says
0: The next moment, as the suicide squad is lifted into the air by a flying giant, they are again
2: astounded by Yes, it's a giant green almost like a cross it's like imagine a pterodactyl, but with instead of the, the long snout, sort of bird-like head, it's got a tyrannosaurus sort of style mm-hmm. head. It's scary. It really is. Again, we can see the ruined cityscape of human proportions in the background. Yes. <laughs> I should save all this for the end, but interestingly, I really like the way this has been drawn. We can see in the bottom of the panel the wreckage of the dock that they were all just thrown from. I really like that detail. That's really, really nice. But anyway, this giant Tyrannosaur-headed tyrannodon is bearing the kids away, and it cries, Did you puny earthlings think to stop me because of your thunderstones?" And then it seems to say, hi! <laughs> <laughs> and it looks over the top of my glasses like it might be Dr. Hugh, who has the next line, and he says, Hear that? This thing is saying me, too. When it was the other creature in the water that was stopped, what's the answer? Panel 2 shows a shot of the flying saucer, and the dinosaurs are all making their way up towards it in ramps. And in the background, we see this tiny silhouette of the flying dinosaur that has everyone, and we hear Doc saying, it can only be because they all share a single central intelligence. A single giant brain thinking for all of them. Caption for panel three. At that moment. Yes. It's a close shot of Karen looking down at the flying saucer. and We can see it from up complete from above. We can see the dinosaurs all chilling into it. And there's a little burst of energy around it, which I think must be to emphasise what Karen is feeling because she says, That force I felt when I painted the pictures, it's getting stronger and stronger. It seems to be coming from that invasion spaceship. The next panel is a shot of the dinosaur's claw, a miming it for our YouTube viewers, holding the suicide squad. As Rex says, If Doc is right, then the big brain is inside that spaceship to direct the invasion, like a master switch. Our target's the ship. Ready armor piercing cartridges. Toss! Keep it clean, listeners. Yes, somehow they've all managed to, despite being held in the claw of the dinosaur, they've all managed to reach down and get some armour-piercing cartridges, which they throw down towards the flying saucer, the caption for the final panel on page 11. Like miniature bazooka shells, the cartridges whirl towards the ominous ship. Yes, there's some amazing whoosh Whoosh, sound effects, whoosh-whoosh, as the cartridges hurtle towards the saucer. It almost looks like they're rocket-propelled because there's little bursts of flame coming from their bums for the want of a better way of putting it. The top of page
0: 12. But to the Suicide Squad's consternation, the explosive cartridges merely
2: flatten against the enemy spaceship. Yes, didn't seem to cause any damage. However, a voice from inside the spaceship, inside the flying saucer, says, Hi, Earthlings. You cannot reach me that way. To play an old Earthling game. You're not even warm. Hi. We get a close-up of wreck in panel two, looking very heroic. Very like the heroic lead of an Urban Allen live-action TV series. Very much so. As he says...
1: So we're not even warm, huh? That gives us one more chance. Our last. Drop ultra-thermal
0: cartridges. And then the caption for panel three says... This time, the unique cartridges tossed by the Suicide Squad in our last desperate action produces such
2: fantastic heat that... Yes, with a giant... The flying saucer melts. I did not see that coming. The nope. dinosaurs that haven't already gone inside to the flying saucer are all standing around looking astonished. The caption for panel four.
0: Suddenly, the captives topple toward the ground as...
2: Yes, very helpfully, Dr Evans says... A flying jail has been attacked. Yes, we see the claw opening and everyone dropping to the ground. Very helpfully, he wasn't very, very high up in the sky when he did that. <laughs> the caption for the final panel, page 12. Lee, the Suicide Squad stares at a world gone mad. Yes, in the background with this continuing, the flying saucer continues to melt, but all around we can see the dinosaurs attacking each other. There's a purple winged dinosaur attacking the green horny guy that seemed to be watching. A poor stegosaurus is getting someone stuck into in the background. There's some kind of Demetriton style guy fighting a triceratops in the foreground. All very exciting as Jess comments, the monsters have become individuals attacking each other. Because they no longer have the single mind to direct them. And then Rick, it seems, says... They'll turn on us unless you can get us out of here, Karen. It's up to you. Yet no pressure. So, as we arrive at the top of the final page, the caption that ranges over the first three panels says...
0: As Karen once again summons all her unique kinetic energy to transform the Suicide
2: Squad back to Earth. Yes, there's a green Demetrodon-style guy who has a big fin across his back. He's walking towards them all as Rick says... You've got to get us out of here before that creature reaches us, Karen. I'm trying. I'm trying, Rick. Try harder. Rick. Harder. Yes, I should mention they're all holding hands once again. And then the caps for panel four. And then, with the immeasurable speed of thought. Yes, they're back in Karen's studio. Dr. Evans cries, We're back. You did it, Karen. You did it. Yes, but something has happened to the canvas in front of them. Rick comments, Look at the painting. Wrecked. Just like Earth's parallel world. Yes, it looks as though someone's just poured either more paint turps. or varnish or something. Yeah, turps, <laughs> And it's just, oh, it's all running. It's horrible. I'm reminded of the recent attacks on the, the sunflowers, but it, it's mm. obviously something a lot worse than a tin of vegetable soup that's been yes. hurled at this particular canvas. And so we reach the final panel of the story. The closing caption says... Later, after the Suicide Squad reports on the results of its top secret mission... yes. Karen looking much happier, wearing a very stylish red jacket and a nice white silk scarf. Rick has his arm over her shoulder, and again that cap at a jaunty angle, which I find so annoying. <laughs> They're Having a nice walk in the park, so you see a little boy playing with a sailboat in the background. As Karen says, You haven't said a word for an hour, Rick. A penny for your thoughts? You must have
1: exhausted your Espa ability to tune in in somebody else's thoughts, or you would have known I wanted to
0: kiss you. And a small caption says, the, the end. end and another caption reads more top secret missions of the suicide squad in the next issue of brave, brave and, and bold
2: well then let's sit down and talk about this one <laughs> shall we <Yep. laughs> well i can honestly say that was fantastic i enjoyed that hugely it was very very exciting but you know let's let's unpack <laughs> yes this is uh, a Robert Kanager story, can you guess? Oh, right, okay. Yes,
1: the artwork's read, Ross Andrew and Mike Esposito. Okay, dream But team. yeah, it is hugely enjoyable, but makes utterly no sense, and that's fine.
2: Yes, I mean, <laughs> so they obviously, what well, the dinosaurs tuned into her mm-hmm. so that she would paint them. Were they going to use the paintings to try and get through to Earth? I think the paintings are just her tuning into the dinosaurs and actually realising what was happening. Earthlings have bridged the gap, destroyed before they let the world... So the dinosaurs are obviously planning to invade. I mean, we talked during the recording how General Brent taking it seriously, but then that narrative sort of extrapolation that Rick makes at the end of page four... Yeah. Couldn't they just thought that, you know, maybe someone had spiked Karen's tea? <laughs> you know i'm, I'm surprised i mean it's karen I mean, these paintings are beautiful we'll get them in the tates now yes karen <laughs> you, you're gonna make us a fortune but you know yeah i mean there's some interesting stuff like you know testing her esp abilities but getting her to read the dollar bill that's quite interesting but there is a suggestion that there's some kind of deliberate mental influence on her. Mm-hmm. why she's doing this stuff yes
1: the interesting thing is this is the only issue in which Karen has any ESP abilities. I was going to
2: ask. Yeah,
1: I can't find another one. I, I could be wrong, mm. but from the other stories that I've read around this, I cannot see <laughs> any mention of this. How very plot convenient. It's hilarious.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's so trashy, isn't it?
1: <laughs> it's great. It's just like, how do we get the story told? Yeah. this is. I know, Karen will have ESP this issue. okay. Instead of,
2: instead of going points A, B to C, it goes from points A, C to E to G. You know, uh-huh. It just jumps. How and why did the dinosaurs... How did they build the flying saucer? Like, why are they amongst a the ruined, obviously, clearly, mm-hmm. a cityscape that's the sort of thing that humans would live in? You know, it's... Yeah.
1: well, I have a theory about this. Okay, good. Okay, right.
2: So, the world that they visit... This, that they, this, this is, parallel world. This parallel yes, world, yes, this, yes. Very, very important phrase yes. there.
1: That's why we're covering it. Mm-hmm. The world that the Suicide Squad visit is inhabited by these dinosaurs. Now, who's to say that that's the original world that those dinosaurs came from?
2: Ah, that's genius. Okay. This is another planet that they've invaded. Yes. In a similar to way, they intend for Earth. No,
1: because ah. because as we, as you commented earlier on, it does seem to be pretty much like Earth. I mean, we've got like, apartment blocks, you've got the Golden Gate Bridge, it looks mm. like, in the background. Mm. Dinosaurs yeah. wouldn't need to build a dock.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're so... going to take their, their yacht out for the afternoon.
1: So I think this is a world that they've invaded, used up all the resources, probably eaten all the people. Mm. Uh, and yeah. who knows how many other parallel universes they've been to. Gosh. Now, also, the fact that these dinosaurs break down at the very end after the brain's destroyed makes me think that the dinosaurs are just a means to an end for whatever the brain was. Because you never see what the brain is. He's
2: just inside the flying saucer-type spaceship. And it's almost like he tunes into each dinosaur in turn just Mm. to talk to them because they're the ones that are closest to the Suicide Squad at that particular point. It's like it's one hive
1: mind controlled by this. A central intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I see it. And I've no idea how many parallel worlds they must have invaded before that. Yeah.
2: It's inter- I mean you obviously must have had some level of control because you know the way the dinosaurs just return to their base instincts in uh-huh. the end that's that's really interesting I'm fascinated by the fact that they just happen to have the right type of cartridge that would melt yeah. this flying saucer and so quickly uh-huh. and just dissolve, you know, whatever it is that's... Um, I
1: like how they, they use, like, lesser explosives before that. You yeah. know, not, not go for the big gun straight no, away. No, we'll try the other ones. Why? Yeah, because yeah, we need some dramatic tension. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes,
2: very much so. I mean, it, it's an interesting story because see if you just read through it without following the dialogue. Uh-huh. You can follow it perfectly. Yeah, Storytelling so. is immaculate mm-hmm. from Ross and Mike. I am fascinated, though, by just... Was Karen having a premonition of what might have happened on this Parallel Earth or what might happen on their own Earth when when she painted the Capitol building?
1: Again, I've got another theory. I think
2: that backs up what you're saying about this could yeah. it be a Parallel Earth that had already mm. invaded. Was she painting events that had already happened? Quite possibly.
1: I think this big brain, I think the way he probably works is he tunes into a mind uh, on the next Parallel Earth that they're going to invade. Uh. And forms a connection there, so that they can come over. But this is wor- bridge, almost. Yeah, And this has worked against him this time. Yes. And that they've been able to come over to
2: the world he's on first. I wonder, will we ever see this parallel world again?
1: Gosh, who knows?
2: You know, when we write our DC comic that ties into Crisis and Infinite Earths or mm-hmm. something many years in the future, yep. will we see the dinosaur brain guy being wiped out by the antimatter? That'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? Yes. I really like the art in this. Mm, yeah. Bottom of page five, start of page six, you know, the way the camera tracks in towards the Suicide Squad then tracks out again. In front of the again. painting, yeah. And then a similar way, they return by the camera sort of mm-hmm. tracking in towards them and, and then suddenly cutting. You know, that really gives it some internal momentum and yeah. really makes it pop. I mean, there's some questionable dynamics. Mm-hmm. Office romances are never a good idea. <laughs> Well, that was a thing in the Suicide Squad. Basically, all three
1: of the guys were in love with Karen. Oh, But Rick was the only one she had eyes for. Right, uh, and they had to keep their relationship secret from the other two. I see. That was the the ongoing, underlining romantic
2: right. plot. That's really interesting, because I have to admit, listeners, before we started the prep for this, I hadn't read any of the Suicide Squad stories in this omnibus. I'd only got it because it was a handy way of having the Star-Spangled Dinosaur stories on the shelf without having to move umpteen coffin boxes to read through them again. But I'm certainly intrigued now. It really does feel like, Challenges of the unknown, doesn't mm-hmm.
1: it? Very much so, yeah. And a really fun adventure, yeah. As I said, they usually fight dinosaurs or giant monsters. Yeah. And, and so do the challenges. That's what you want, that's isn't cool.
2: it? Yeah. I mean, there's a real looseness to the whole thing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it flows really well. And, you know, why did our jumper turn black? What? The chlorophyll <laughs> thing. The way they flag that up, you think it's going to be relevant. Yeah. Oh, we're going to... Look, here's a plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They might find a plant at the last minute and that might yep. stop them, but nothing is, is made of it. It was just to make her look a little <laughs> bit just, more it's slinky. It's just, this is how they're going to destroy Earth. Right. That's that's it. Yeah, you know. but it, it's fascinating. If you look at page eight, Jess looks like he's having a great time. He's loving it. Mm-hmm. And I love the just the casual carnage and it's just... Mm-hmm. It's great fun. I can't think the last time that we did a story that I just... Because we've done... I mean, we've done some really quite high concept... Bronze Age stuff recently. This yeah. is very, very refreshing. Oh, yeah, definitely. Just to go back to a simpler time, <laughs> a, what, 10 years earlier? Mm-hmm.
1: It is only a 13-page story, so, you know, mm. they have to cram a lot in there.
2: But they they do. It could yeah. easily have been a full-length issue. Very much so, yeah. I mean, and these days, it would be a six-part art itself, yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and there'd be a few more pages of them working out exactly oh, yeah. what was going on uh-huh. instead of Rick just jumping... I mean... <laughs> I It was terrible of me to ask Peter to read it again, but I really couldn't quite believe what I was reading and hearing. You know, dinosaurs have an identical earth. Identical earth. Identical earth. Mm-hmm. There you go. Mm-hmm. With a super intelligence grant. How, how can you work that out? That's like, right, that's like <laughs> me looking at... I'm looking around my, my living room listeners as we sit here for a painting. Right, there's Nighthawks of the Diner. Right, what could you extrapolate from that just by looking at it and then work out, you know... Hmm... So they built they that guy there put the light bulb in that thing that's shining down. Ca- you know, I don't know. It's like yeah. how, looking. At, <laughs> Rick is obviously is an amazing operative to look at that painting of dinosaurs and realize that they want to invade Earth. That's why he's
1: the boss. Yeah, I yeah. suppose mm. he's both a colonel and a captain.
2: I remember an episode of Mash actually when they try to disguise BJ as a colonel, but they forget to take one of these in hawk actually says that yeah colonel captain so Mm -hmm. yeah
1: something like that anyway just remember police
2: squad i'm sergeant frank trevin detective lieutenant police squad (laughs) (laughs) amazing do you know i could talk about this all day i almost want us to read it all through again just one for one and then just you know do i don't think my
1: voice yeah i've not done voices like that
2: since the specter i don't think i could either um, yes every time we did a dinosaur voice listeners we had to pause and take a drink hopefully that won't be too apparent in the edit I almost want to do a director's commentary version where we talk <laughs> over ourselves and just sort of highlight the craziness in the story yeah great fun going to go through the rest of these stories with a fine tooth comb and see you said at the top there was another one that involved another dimension maybe we'll do that in a couple of years we time could as do. we could do because it was so much fun
1: we'll put that in our back pocket that's yes. fine I have a question for you David uh oh uh-oh. yes so, yes. I'll start with a statement. This story, the Suicide Squad, went to parallel earth. When did this come out again?
2: Ah,
0: <laughs> yes.
2: Peter, it was published on the 22nd of June, 1961. Uh-huh. Listeners, do you, can you see where we're going with this?
1: And can I ask, when was Flash 1, 2, 3, the Flash of Two Worlds, which
2: is usually regarded as the start of the multiverse, when did that come out? The story where Barry Allen first encountered his Golden Age predecessor, Jay Garrick. That was published... On the 18th of July, 1961. Gosh. So yeah, listeners, the Suicide Squad went to a parallel Earth before The Flash did. A month before The Flash did. <laughs> Why don't they talk about that on IGN? I know. Why aren't they talking about that in their blooming <laughs> DC-sanctioned tweets about the multiverse and what have you? Why isn't Jim Lee giving that information out as if he's exactly. known it his whole life and not just read it off of a cue card? <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Listeners, this is one of those stories that we just can't believe when we, we actually uncover it and, yes. and find out. When I first read this and saw the Parallel Earth comment and then I checked the dates, so it was like, yeah.
2: what? Yeah. What? Yeah.
1: Mind-blowing. I just, I just love finding this stuff and I hope I hope you enjoy it as much as we do.
2: I, listeners, I don't think you can, quite frankly, because I remember like <laughs> messaging Pete and saying, you know, we the dates, but I don't think Pete had registered. I went, you know, within weeks of each other. Yep. Let's count it out. Less than four weeks, less than a month apart. It's insane it's a cosmic level of coincidence which boggles the mind quite frankly Parallel Earth it's there it is there it's spelt out in block capital letters and with dinosaurs all around it imagine there were dinosaurs in Flash of Two Worlds that's the only thing missing from from Flash of Two Worlds gosh
1: exhausting but one thing that's missing from this episode is the letters pages because sadly there aren't any from that time but that doesn't stop you from getting in touch with us you can write to us at the earth2podcast at gmail.com make sure you follow us on social media because we're putting up some of these wonderful highlights for you to enjoy on facebook and instagram we're at the earth2podcast and on twitter we're at podcast underscore earth2
2: if you're feeling generous you could go to wherever it is you receive your podcast and give us an honest review That'd be nice. Or email us and give us some feedback. What do you like? What do you don't like? All that sort of thing. That'd be cool. So yes, this is our final regular episode for the year. yeah. Um, stories will recommence, obviously, at the start of January. Yeah, but you know, that's not quite the last you're going to hear from us this year, though.
1: Nope, we've got everything planned. So yes. Yes. yes, stay tuned, stay tuned.
2: Indeed. On that note.
1: On that note, I've been Peter. I've been
2: David. Yeah, and before we go, just remember and consider those people in your life that might be having a hard time right now because you know it might not all be in their head. They might it might be, you know, they might be externally influenced by some dinosaurs from a parallel world and take that into account. You know, it's, it's a very serious issue. We'll see you soon on your two podcast. Hi. Yeah, it was weird the way it kept saying hi. What was all that about?
0: Transmatter cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. Desperately, the dangling Karen tosses belt size cartridges into the water under her.
2: The dangling Karen is a really nice pub in Islington in London. I'm pretty sure that Men's played one of their earliest gigs there. Mm.